0: Stories of the lowly janitor eventually rising to become president are typically stories of myth. However, it does happen. As you'll hear today, my guest did indeed work his way up from the very bottom to the very top over a brilliantly managed 45-year career. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, and I really believe one of the keys to any community is when you listen to each other's stories. It's one of the true roads to the local culture and connects us in a way that cannot be done any other way. In fact, that's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started it so that you could get connected just a little bit deeper in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview a neighbor of ours who is doing great work and impacting our town in positive ways. So you'll hear from authors and artists, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now, and what their plans are for the future. I'm very pleased to welcome Rick Piccolo, president and CEO of this year's Florida Airport of the Year, which, of course, is our own Sarasota Bradenton Airport. In this episode, you'll learn the one thing most people don't know about Rick, what most people would be surprised to know about running an airport, how Rick reduced the airport's debt to now run a massive surplus, what Rick and his team are doing to create educational opportunities for underprivileged students, and much, much more. I do indeed appreciate all of you tuning in. It is my hope that you will not only listen and learn, but connect Rick Piccolo, President and CEO of Sarasota Bradenton International Airport and Florida's 2022 Airport of the Year. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast.
1: Uh, Thank you, Bob. Happy to be here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, I've heard you speak several times over the last few years since I have been in the Sarasota area. Most recently, I heard you speak at a private club I was a member of. And I will say I really appreciate kind of the high visibility that you have in the Sarasota community, because I've never really seen that before in all the different towns I've lived in. Because the airport, of course, is—I mean, it's just a major—it's a major piece of what makes uh, this community great. And we're going to get into all that in a little bit here. But one of the things I always like to start off with is what is one thing that most people. Don't know about you.
1: Uh, back many, many years ago, back in the 70s, when I was first uh, working at airports, uh, I was actually president of our Longshoremen's Union for four years. So uh, that goes way back, about 45 years ago now. But uh, uh, I, I was sitting on the other side of the negotiating table right. for, for a number of years and uh, learned a lot from that. End. And then I was only 24 years old when I got elected as
0: oh, Wow. Team. Well, good for you. Yeah, you have seen both sides of the argument then. So that's very yeah. cool. That's very cool. Well, you know, I, as I was doing your background research, there are only a handful of people have ever come across that they basically start out at the bottom of an industry and then they rise to the very, very top. And that would be you because you started off very much at the bottom and now you're ceo of sarasota airport sarasota manatee airport so give us some broad strokes there you know why airport management
1: well it it actually was not something that i had some career aspirations for Uh, my first job after high school uh, was as a janitor at the buffalo airport i grew up in buffalo Uh, i was only 18 years old and i worked there as a janitor uh, after about a year there, I got, uh, I bid on a job out on the airfield and airfield maintenance and plowing snow, which Buffalo's is known for, and, and worked out there for another year uh, doing that. And then I got drafted into the military uh, during the Vietnam War. Oh. I was in the military two years, came out, got married, started having a family. And my wife was working at the State University of New York at Buffalo. In the library as a secretary, and she said, "You really should go to school because I couldn't. Uh, I came from a family of eight children and couldn't afford to go to college." And uh, she said, "Well, you have the GI Bill now. You should go to school." Uh, so she actually filled out an application, brought it home, and told me to sign it. And uh, I went to school at night and and took about five and a half years to get my wow. degree while I kept working at uh, the airport uh, and was elected president of the Longshoremen's Union, as I, I told you. And when I, I finished school, because of my work with the union, I got to obviously know a lot of people in the upper management of the airport authority, which was a multimodal authority. It had, a, had the subway, had the seaport uh, buses, as well as the airport. And uh, one of the people who ran all of operations for the port authority said, I hear you got your degree. Uh, would you like to come over to management side? And my first job on that was as a foreman out at uh, the seaport. And a few months later, uh, he created a job at the airport where I was assistant to the airport manager, not assistant airport manager, assistant assistant to him. And uh, I started he started seeing uh, abilities in me as well. And pretty soon I became kind of his troubleshooter wherever there were any issues. And that's how I got my start. And eventually I was there 13 years. A job came open in Tampa, and uh, my parents, my my wife's parents were moving to Florida. And my mother-in-law talked to me on the phone one day at lunchtime and said, would you please put in an application to Tampa? Because they were moving to St. Petersburg. And I did it just to shut her up. And (laughs) lo and behold, two weeks later, I got a call from Tampa International, uh, said, we think we have a job that you would fit very well. They flew me down, interviewed me, and I actually ended up in Florida before my in-laws. Uh, and from there, I worked at Tampa International for three years as assistant director of operations, went over to St. Pete Clearwater Airport uh, after that as assistant airport director, was there for nine years, and then became CEO here in 1995. So through all of this, I, I never planned a career in aviation. In fact, the first time I ever got on an airplane was when I got drafted and sent to Fort Dix. So uh, aviation was not in my blood, but it uh, the, the career found me in its fabulous career, one that uh, I enjoy tremendously.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic because I've run into some people that they've, they chase the dollars or whatever, and they're in a career they really don't like. Maybe it's attorneys or accountants or something like that. And they really don't like it. So it's wonderful to find somebody who's really enjoyed their career and has, has that to say about it. So you have been in so many different areas of this industry. What would be some things that people be surprised about, about what it takes to run an airport?
1: Um, I think that, When you really have to look at it is an airport is a mini city. I'm kind of like a mayor in a sense. We have our own police department, our own fire department, all the public works, uh, uh, all the maintenance, everything from the landscaping to HVAC and electrical, all those things are done in-house as well as the administrative functions. So on the 1,300 acres that we own, we take care of everything just like a city would uh, with one big difference. And, And that's true at most commercial service airports in the country is that we don't have any taxing power. So everything we do here has to be supported through our business operations. And I, I like to joke we're a bit like the mob uh, because we get a piece of the action of everything that <laughs> happens. So when you rent a car, we get 10% of the gross uh-huh. on that car rental. When you buy a Coke or a beer or a t-shirt, we get a percentage of that. Uh, when you advertise here, we get a percentage of that. Obviously the airlines pay us rent and landing fees. We have a number of ancillary businesses on our our airport and our industrial park. We have a self-storage facility. We have an aviation manufacturer there. We have uh, Sunstate Truckings there. Uh, We have the, the Rips Golf is on our land as well. We have some hotels on our land. All those go into our pot to support our budget. Our budget's about $35 million a year to operate. So I like to tell people we're the closest thing to private industry they'll find in government. Because we have to survive the same as any private company.
0: What 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 I thought was interesting was I think when you took over as CEO, I think uh, SRQ was uh, in running a deficit, and I think you've turned all that around now. Is that correct? That I do I did I get that
1: right? I think the allegations were that the airport was losing money. The airport was was breaking even. The problem was that it had a lot of debt, and uh, Uh. the airport when they built this terminal. Uh, it, it took 70 million dollars and they floated a revenue bond predicated on the thought that by the mid 90s, they have three million passengers. We didn't hit that till this past year. Wow. Uh, so the debt service was built on a model that anticipated a lot more income coming in. And so what ended up happening is the rates to the airlines were much higher uh, than than they anticipated. So it, it depressed the amount of airline service we could get. And so we tried, when I came here, I tried a couple things. One was to diversify our revenue, because at that time, the only revenue the airport received that wasn't related to airlines. And when I say that, airlines, not just airlines paying us rent, landing fees, but all those things I just talked about, car rental, parking, all that, you, you make more revenue the more passengers you put through, because you're getting a piece of that revenue from each one. Since that passenger traffic was only around $1.5 million, or half of what they anticipated, that revenue stream wasn't very high. So I wanted to diversify our revenue stream and also control costs. When I first came here, I, I cut 10% of the staff. Uh, I started putting very tight cost controls in place and we started working to diversify our revenue stream. And that, in that first year, our revenue not related to airline activity was about $200,000 a year. Today it's over three and a half million dollars. Wow. So wow. Uh, we, we built an industrial park that was successful. And so those were some of the efforts we made. And then by 2014, we had retired the debt, paid it all off. Uh, and so now we were debt-free, and that lowered the rates a lot to the airlines as well.
0: My goodness, maybe we should send you uh, to Washington, kind of straight out <laughs> some of the finances there, you think? You think? <laughs>
1: uh, they, they, do, uh, they do like to spend money.
0: They like to spend money. One of the things I've, I've always been curious about, if a new airline comes in to Sarasota, is that an airline that you went out and got or did it come to you and then you you, you know you talk about gate fees and the advantages and how does that work?
1: It it kind of ha- it can happen either way. Most of the time, I mean we're out recruiting airline service all the time. I used to joke that we talked to every airline except Aeroflot. Uh, uh, the
0: we're
1: That's, always the, Russian, talking that's the Russian. That's
0: a Russian airline, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. We,
1: we have a we have we have a person on staff who's whose job is to to do airline recruitment. Mark does a great job with it. Uh, and, w- and we go to different uh, airline headquarters every year, as well as uh, there's a couple of what we call speed dating for airline conferences each year, where all the airports, all the airlines, a couple days at a, at a, a conference uh, hotel area, and you get appointments with different airlines and you can show them demographic data, uh, data about your community and the, and the routes and all that type of thing, what your rates and charges are. Because you have to understand that the network planners at an airline. One network planner may be handling 50, 60, 70 cities. That Mm. person cannot possibly know all the intricacies of that community, especially take, for example, our community has grown tremendously in the last couple of years. That network planner up in New York is not going to know that unless you make them aware of it. So we do a lot of that. But I have had an occasion now and then. Where an airline came walking in the door and said, "Look, we've been looking at your market, and we want to we want to start serving." So, it, it, most of the time, it happens through recruitment efforts. But every once in a while, you you find magic in the bottle.
0: Fascinating, fascinating. Well, so twenty twenty two, you you guys were named Florida's Airport of the Year. Yes. Tell us about that. It was it just a function of so many people wanting to move to the Sarasota area? There's got to be some other things that you guys yeah, did no. with your staff and.
1: It, it was a function of a, a lot of factors. One being, obviously, we we're, were the fastest-growing airport in the country by far in, in 2021, so we grew at 155%. And how you handled that was an important facet, I think, of that award. And, and we, uh, I think we handled it very well because we are infrastructure. And, and so if your, your needs grow 155% one year, You've got to be able to handle that. And and it's not easy because you can't do capital construction in less than a year. Uh, I try to give the example if roadway traffic went up 155% in a year. No matter how much money the government said you can have for road building, you couldn't build it fast enough. So I think we handled that very well because we hired about 25 people and did a lot more operational issues and and adjustments to try and handle that. Uh, Our safety record's excellent Uh, when we're inspected by both FDOT Florida Department of Transportation and the uh, Federal Aviation Administration are safeties excellent. Uh, It it was a combination of that, the aesthetics of the airport. uh, One of the things we pride ourselves on is how beautiful the airport is and how clean we keep it. And so uh, all those things factored in, I think, along with the fact that the growth was so tremendous to be able to handle that without too much problem for the general public, we think was, was a big facet in, in getting that. And then the fact that our, our financial picture, uh, our our uh, the fact that we're debt-free, but our reserves are now at about $56 million. Now we have a lot of capital programs we're going to embark on with all this growth, but uh, we're, we're not uh, in a deficit as uh, the rumor was back 25 years ago.
0: Right. And we're going to get into your master plan here in a, in, in a little bit, but you know as you were talking about that i was just i was thinking about you know another thing that you know i really never consider is what it's like working with in a highly regulated industry because you have inspectors coming in you have to work with you know state and federal employees give us a sense of you know how do you navigate that
1: it, it is a tremendous amount of regulatory oversight both from the federal and the state government uh, when you look at the federal government, obviously, have the FAA and all the safety regulations, as well as uh, financial. We, we have to do like 14 financial reports a year to different facets of government to show how we're being run. Uh, there's there's obviously all the labor laws that, that you have uh, and then local zoning laws. We're in three political jurisdictions here. When, as you walk down the terminal, you'll cross. When, when you first pull into the parking lot, you're in the city of Sarasota. Okay. As you leave the parking lot and go into the terminal in the ticking area, you're in Sarasota County. And as you walk down the concourse, you move into Manatee County once you get to where those concession areas are. So we sit in three political jurisdictions. So there's wow. all that. And there's the there's the political function of now you, you're dealing with three political entities here as well as a federal and state entity. So a lot of my work and a lot of my job is staying politically connected and keeping we're dealing with both sides of the aisle and, and making them aware of what our issues and needs are, as well as dealing with all the regulatory agencies. And then you have things like uh, the TSA, Transportation Security Administration. You have Customs and Border Protection. So we have wow. a lot of police agencies that we also deal with uh, and all of those things. We're, we're, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the amount of regulatory oversight is tremendous and you have to be very nimble and, and work with all them and form relationships so that when you have an issue, you can deal with those those issues. Do do those
0: inspectors or the folks that represent those different agencies, are they pretty static? In other words, have they had high turnover, so you you have to reestablish those relationships over and over?
1: I I don't think it's as much uh, as uh, high turnover as because they're so big, they tend to rotate people around for a good reason, and that is they don't want you to get so cozy with that regulator that they start overlooking things because you right. have a great relationship with them. We have excellent relationships with all the people that regulate us, but it is not unusual about every two to three years that you're meeting a new regulator, whether it's FAA or FDOT or TSA. Uh, the turnover isn't in people, it's in in rotation. And and the, because they're so big, those organizations, in a lot of cases, those people are moving up in the hierarchy as well, and therefore they go on to other bigger and better places.
0: Right. Right right we 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 were talking a little bit before uh i hit record here something that i think would just been just an extraordinary not an extraordinary experience it'd be an incredibly difficult experience given the industry that you're in is you know how did you manage or how are you managing during all this covid stuff i mean uh i and as i mentioned earlier a member of a uh, a private club and i felt so sorry for our general manager because 50 percent of the members are, are scared to death right let's close it down and let's make sure everything is safe and then you have another 50 percent saying well why would i join the club if it's not even going to be open and and uh and i felt so sorry for the and there was just a no-win situation we, we made our we we made our um made our way through that, but man, I couldn't even imagine running a, an airport. Yeah. What did that look like?
1: Well, it was, it was pretty interesting in this sense in March of 2020. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit more in 2019. We were the fastest growing airport in the U S growing at 43%. Right. In the first three months of 2020, we were again, the fastest growing airport in the U S growing at 53%. By about the third of Week of March, we started the COVID stuff really started to hit. We saw a decrease. And then by April, that's when everything went absolutely crazy and and everything shut down. This airport in April of 2020 handled less than 10,000 passengers for the month. We handle over 10,000 passengers a day. Wow. So I walked in the parking lot and we had 25 cars in a 2,000 space parking lot. And going back to what I talked about of what our business model is, all right, if we don't have any passengers, we don't have any money, and we were worried, well, how, how are we going to survive through all this? The good news for us, uh, in addition to the federal reliefs that came along for airports, which helped us uh, uh, get through the, f- the first early months, we recovered so much faster than everyone for a number of reasons. One was, after a few months of this, people wanted to, to get away again, and they were looking sure. for places they could socially distance and be outside. Sarasota so has the best beaches in the world, uh, boating, great golf courses, fishing. There were a lot of outdoor activities. And then the governor kept things reasonable. I mean, in the beginning, the restaurants could have 50 percent, but at least they could serve people. And then that started to ease up as time went on. And so people started coming here in droves. And pretty soon, the airlines noticed. And that brought more and more people. Right, And then people were moving here. And then when you take the other part of COVID, where people could work from home, you started seeing people saying, well, if I can work from home and I will continue to work from home, which we see a lot more of now, even post-COVID, uh, why am I sitting looking out the window at two feet of snow? I'm moving to Florida. And so right. we've seen a great deal of that. From the airport's perspective in those first couple of months, the other thing we did is we did... We were one of the first to go through all those health protocols. We put uh, plastic shields up at every ticket counter. We had 88 different counters that we had to put them up. We doubled our janitorial force in those two weeks. We added about uh, every 75 feet. We added hand sanitizing stations. We put a bunch of signage up to to warn people about mask mandates, all that. Uh, And we actually did a commercial. We did a television commercial that we put out that only said we showed all the efforts we made for COVID prevention, and we all, all we said was, when you're ready, we're ready, because cool. we didn't know when people would be ready. And as right. I said, it started to recover very fast, and then it exploded, and as I said, we grew at 155%, and, and we were even, that. I realize that's over a COVID year, but we were 61% ahead of that 2019 year when we were the fastest growing airport in the country, so this whole community just exploded and and we were along for the ride.
0: Yeah. and And I'm sure that in all the certifications you've gotten specifically in the industry that you guys go over scenarios of how do you communicate what you communicate and, and, and I'm sure you just can't communicate enough in a situation like that. But on the other hand, no one's ever been through this. I mean, the last was, you know, 1918, which was the Spanish flu. I mean, it's not as if you could, you know, benchmark up with some other organization. And say this is how you do it. But I, I, the other thing I'm curious about, unfortunately, traveling by air has become a stressful uh, event for many people because you have security. Um, you just have the just the stress of flying itself, and then you have mask mandates. What did that do to you all in having to manage like
1: passengers
0: who are just? You know, highly yeah.
1: stressed. It, it was difficult in a number of ways. Uh, I will say that when the mask mandate was removed, after about three days, I'd say at most two to three percent of people are wearing masks when they go through an airport. Right. Uh, most people. So it showed the pent up frustration with that, that people were so happy uh, to be able to take them off. But one of the problems it did cause is we had a lot of incidents. I mean, this is this is Sarasota. Uh, and what ended up happening is our number of arrests went up quite a bit. Uh, we had four assaulting officer arrests this year, Wow! last year during that. And it was all related to this mask mandate and people, the problem is people who were dead set against it, forced to do that, and then they'd get alcohol in, uh, and, and pretty soon It would result in some problems. Uh, We had over 100. Our our disturbance calls went up more than 50% in that year with over 110 uh, disorderly conduct uh, calls. And and we had 33 felony arrests. So uh, we're not known as a hotbed of crime. And I was going
0: to uh, say, I was going to say, were these all grandma and grandpas?
1: Uh, there was. It, it's interesting. Uh, the age uh, varied greatly. Uh, and we did have a, a one lady in her late 70s who was arrested for assaulting an officer. So uh, you my can goodness. see that it, uh, oh, it covered all, all the age groups.
0: Jeez, oh, Pete. that's wild. We'll talk about you guys are doing some stuff in the education field around here. You're partnering with uh, some of the local colleges. Yes. Talk about, I think that's very interesting. Talk about that if you would.
1: Yeah, that that is one of the things that we're really excited about. A couple of years ago, uh, we signed a lease with a, a group called Team Success, which is a charter school that's in Manatee County right now. It's an A-rated charter school. Uh, it is 83% minority, 97% economically disadvantaged children. Uh, and they wanted to build a facility out across the street from the airport on some land we own. And, and we worked out a lease with them And we're pretty excited about that. They're due to open in fall of 23, uh, and it's going to have an aviation theme in that school. When you think of the type of children that are there, most children to begin with, but especially ones that are economically disadvantaged, when they think of aviation, they think of two things, pilots and flight attendants, and they don't realize all the other opportunities that exist out in an airport, everything from people working for airlines uh, to the stuff uh, you and I have talked about a little, you can become a police officer, a firefighter, and work out here. Right. You can work for an airline at the ticket counter. Uh, you could be an electrician, an HVAC technician. There's lots of other opportunities out here. There's over 2,000 jobs here on the airport. So that was one facet of it. So a K through 12 school for disadvantaged kids that will have uh, an aviation theme. They'll get to go on tours of the airport. Uh, they'll have aviation themed pictures and everything at the at the school. Uh, we'll, we'll, they're going to do field trips to other aviation facilities, whether it's uh, Fantastic. The, the museum up in St. Pete. The second facet, we worked with Manatee Technical College on getting an A&P school here. That's an airframe and power plant school, which basically trains people to be mechanics. It takes about two years to get your certification as a mechanic. So uh, this past year, the legislature, we put in about $3 million to do all the site prep work and build a maintenance facility next to it. So that there was a, uh, we look at it as a pipeline for jobs and Absolutely. for us to help attract other types of aviation businesses. This year, the legislature appropriated 5.5 million towards that school. Uh, we have a lease now with Manatee County. Uh, Sarasota County School Board is also joined in with Suncoast Technical Center. Wonderful. Institute, rather. So that in about two years, we think will come out of the ground and be open and we'll be training people to be mechanics. So now you have from kindergarten through 12th grade, and technical school that if you have a real interest in aviation, you can go in and be a mechanic. The next thing we're working on is we're working with USF Sarasota Manatee on establishing some aviation courses at that AMP school because there'll be uh, classroom space there. And we're also talking with the uh, university administration about maybe a, a, an aerospace engineering course uh, curriculum here at the airport. So now you can take kids from kindergarten through technical school or university all on airport land. And I don't think wow. there's another airport in the country that would allow all of that. You might have an a school, you might have a university, but you might have a school, but you don't have all three right there on airport property. And we're really, really excited about that opportunity well, for our local sh- kids.
0: Yes. And, and I, I want to commend you guys. You should be excited about it. I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe. I don't rem- know if you remember him from Dirty Jobs on yes. TV. And, and he has something called Mike Rowe Works. And his whole thesis is, you know, so many high school kids are misguided going into college because they want to get a, you know, a college degree that somehow that makes them more employable. Well, it depends upon what you're getting. So he's very big into the trade schools because you can't be outsourced, right? It can't, it can't be sent, can't be sent overseas and then. You know, there's such a shortage of a lot of these jobs that they can make great money coming out of yeah. some type um, of a maintenance technician or
1: the A.M.P. School right now. Boeing estimates that over the next two decades worldwide, they'll need almost 700,000 mechanics. Wow! It starts at about the average wage starts at 65,000, and it's not unusual after a few years of being a mechanic yeah. and working for the airlines that you can be in six figures. So, yep, it's an opportunity for children and, and grandchildren in our community to have a great career worldwide opportunity, not just, hey, you can only work locally or something like that. They can go all over the world because there's airlines all over the world. So we look at it as a, a great way to, to put a little imprint and help the community uh, while we're we a government agency. And at the same time, we're very business oriented. But this is one where we, we have a real passion for.
0: That's great. That's great. I I hope you will put a course in that has to do with the financial management and how these guys <laughs> come out of it. Personal personal financial management, right? But yes, you guys are. I mean, if, you know, for a government agency, I, I will say you are very uh, um, entrepreneurial oriented. I think these are fantastic programs you're putting in place. Well, well, so you, you, so you've already touched about you know s- some of these schools that you're starting. What are some other future projects uh, that are kind of a part of the master plan that we haven't really touched upon yet? And we'll kind of then we'll get you out
1: of here. Okay. well, this growth has necessitated us being nimble and and having a lot of uh, adjustments to our master plan, which we we uh, actually got our master plan approved in March of 2020. And by uh, by the next year, it's almost outdated. But uh, some we have about 200 million dollars worth of work that we're starting as as we speak. Uh, We're building a new five gate ground based terminal at the end of our ticket wing uh, that we hope to have ready in about 18 to 24 months. That's about an 80 million dollar project that will add five gates because we need the space with all the growth we've had. Uh, We have a new baggage system that will go in. Uh, Our baggage system is nearly 20 years old and it's it's segmented as three different sections. They're not interconnected. Uh, This new baggage system. We'll interconnect them all because when a machine – we have about 20 employees right now who do nothing but stand by. And when there's a baggage right. system breakdown, they have to move bags by, by cart, by hand. Uh, and so we want to interconnect it all so that when one inspection machine breaks down, it can divert to the other inspection machine because we have three different machines. They're just not interconnected. That's a $42 yeah. million dollar project. Uh, we're building a new ground transportation center this next year. That's about $10 million. Uh, We have some more ramp projects that are another 10 million and parking expansions that are about 6 million. Uh, We're going to build a consolidated rental car, uh, what we call QTA, Quick Turnaround Facility. It's about 30 million, where all the rental car areas that we have right now will be consolidated into one area so they can maintain the the, uh, vehicles, fuel them, clean them, all in one spot, which frees up a lot of land here at the front part of the airport so we can rezone it, and then turn it into office, uh, retail, restaurant. That hotel, again, generating more diversified uh, revenue for the airport. So we have a a lot of projects. Uh, We broke ground this week on a new cell phone lot that's about $3 million that we've done uh, within the year. It'll be much nicer than what we have have restroom facilities, vending machines, uh, display boards telling you when the flights are in. So we're trying to make improvements as fast as we can.
0: Well, that's very cool. Well, maybe you should become mayor of just SRQ, uh, incorporated, right? Or uh, become your own mayor of that city. You really should become with all that sort of stuff going on there. Well, that is wonderful. Well, Rick, I appreciate you very much coming on to the show. And, uh, I would love to have you on in a year from now and see the progress you're making on all those projects. But it's a pleasure having you on and, uh, you know, blue skies ahead for you all.
1: Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to let people know what's going on.
0: You bet. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, facebook and linkedin and remember no matter where you go to listen
1: learn and connect